Welcome everybody to Check Yourself, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by the Community Health Education Center, hence Check, uh, within Salem Health Hospital in Salem, Oregon. I'm Leah Burkhart, a health educator on site here and your hostess. And today I'm going to be speaking with Erin Club, who is a fellow health educator, a personal trainer. She has a plethora of credentials after her name that I will let her talk to you about. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about rewards. We'll cover a number of different sort of layers of what the word means. Um, you know, we'll talk about how to reward behaviors as opposed to outcomes. We talk about how to encourage, you know, for parents, how parents can encourage their kids to cultivate healthy rewards. Uh, we talk about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic rewards and motivations and really, we kind of get to the heart of what does it mean to take care of ourselves and to treat ourselves well? What does it mean to embrace rewards and pleasure in a healthy and sort of vital way? So I'm really excited about the conversation, excited to be sharing it with all of you. And as always, if there are ever any questions, always feel free to reach out to the Community Health Education Center by going to our website www.salemhealth.org slash check C-H-E-C. And with that, let's get started. So I'm here with Erin. Hi, Erin. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. <laughs> it's so funny. We had to take some time to get everything situated with all of the podcast materials. And it's it's like, you think it would be easy. There's but a no. Lot, there's a lot of equipment involved. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for your patience with that. Absolutely. No problem. So how about we just start with the basics? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> well, uh, my name is Erin Club. I live here in Salem, um, Oregon. And I'm a mom of two, a wife, uh, I work at the hospital, I teach exercise classes, I'm a health educator here, um, actively seeking healthy lifestyle and just overall doing the human thing in the best way I can. What does it mean to you to be humaning well? I've never actually said that before, <laughs> but to be humaning well, it's... Um, just thinking of other people and how my actions impact them mm -hmm. and then being mindful of my responses to other people's actions, mm -hmm. um, working towards harmony at home, at work, you know, by myself, even with the thoughts in your head and the things that go on. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> it's a great barometer. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> I just thought of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so... I mean, I know the topic that we were going to be talking about today was, you know, sort of rewards, pleasure. And I think that segues really nicely from, you know, like if you're humaning well, you're taking care of other people, you're being mindful of how you are around those people and your impact. Uh, it's also worth looking at how we treat ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of rewards, um, if someone were to just ask you, how do you reward yourself? Or, you know, like the really common one, like, how do you treat yourself? <laughs> like, what are things that come to mind for you when you think about rewards or treats? For myself, specifically? Yeah. Um, I really work to avoid food rewards. I don't think a food should be a reward. Um, but it's more, it really depends on what it is. So if my goal was to be able to run faster, longer, or just walk better and better form, reward myself with food doesn't mean anything. But a new pair of shoes mm -hmm. to do it better, that kind of reinforces that goal. That's, that's what motivates me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know, because as a health educator, when I think about rewards, I'm often pairing it with, like, yeah, behavior change. 
You know, mm-hmm. like, like with the Charles Duhiggs and the James Clears, you mm-hmm. talk about habits. They'll say, yeah, you need three things. There's the cue, as in what's the thing that's cueing you to do a thing. There's the action itself, the thing you're trying to make stick. And then there's the reward. And if you don't have the reward, it won't stick. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you're training a puppy. Sit, puppy. And the puppy sits. In that case, we do give a food reward usually. But it's I like of, to think we're above dogs in some ways. <laughs> I don't know, man. My dog's pretty great. And oh, mine too. I know. I know. <laughs> I saw someone driving along and they had a bumper sticker. It says, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. And I thought, oh, so much wisdom. <laughs> I love the one from Bentley's here in town. It says, be the dog or be the human your dog thinks you are. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to my a coach about the, you know, like, the idea of goals or the idea of like intentions to set for the new year. And at some point in that conversation, I, I mentioned, Oh, we were talking about gratitude. And I said, you know, if, I'm sure everybody says this, it's kind of trite, but I'm super grateful for my fur babies, you know, my cat and my dog in particular. And uh, what I had said about them is, it's not just that I love them because they're cute and lovely because they are, but it's also they remind me that I, the, the less I do, the more they love me. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I have to always be doing in order to receive validation from them. They just want me to be. They, want, they just want me to be there and snuggle. It's very true. Just uh, making eye contact with them or just being that closeness for them. That's enough. Yeah, I know. I love that word enough because that's what when I do facilitation of groups, for example, and talk about rewards like we talk about the ecosystem you need for a successful behavior change. You need specific goals and you need to track your progress and recruit support and arrange your world. And then that final one is you need to treat yourself like Mm -hmm. you need to reward the behavior. And in my experience, all the people in the room will say, you know, like in any of those other elements, there's great conversation. Like, yeah, let's talk about goals. And then they ping you know, popcorn off each other. Um, tracking progress, fine, super interesting. As soon as we get to rewards, it everyone clams up. Mm-hmm. They go, I mean, like, how do you reward yourself? And you just even started by saying, I, I don't want to use food. Mm-hmm. And especially when I say, how do you reward yourself which is not to say you can't use food, but outside of food, what do you do? And the whole room goes just silent. So, I, just, I mean, I think that's super interesting that when we talk about, like, to be to human well, mm-hmm. taking good care of ourselves is part of that. And when we think about taking care of ourselves, we're usually thinking about actions we have to do, some more to-do lists. Things we can check off, right? Yeah. And we sometimes forget about just pleasure. So, you know, in terms of... That's an intrinsic reward, right? The pleasure you get from the, the thing. So if you're even, um, maybe it's something, it's not simple. I almost said simple, but getting enough sleep, um, you know, making your world work so that you can get enough rest so that when you're doing what it is you want to do or playing with your kids or your grandkids or uh, walking your dog, whatever it is that you have that... You're present, you have the energy, the stamina, so. Oh, I love that. Do you think that just being present in and of itself can make an action more rewarding? I think absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am in the moment, even with my kids, I I feel better. I feel like I'm a better mom, Um it's just, it's not like a, an add a girl thing, but <laughs> it's just knowing that there's this deeper connection happening and that just really means something. Uh, whether my son or daughter know that it's happening for me, it's like, I'm going to remember this or this, this means something. And I hope they feel that. Not that I'm going to say, Hey, that thing that we just did right there. Like I was, I was totally paying attention. <laughs> did you see that? Did you notice? It's the, just that for me, it's like, wow. Okay. That was a moment I was really there. It's so easy to be so distracted. There's so many notifications and pings and obligations and, and things to check off your to-do list that are so distracting for everything um, to really do one thing well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, re- I feel like I remember there being, I want to say it was a study, but I don't know if like what the variables were exactly what the parameters were. But if I remember correctly, what it was a, a massive group of people and they would just ping people randomly throughout the day through like a text message. And they just had to answer a couple of quick questions. It was, what are you doing right now? On a scale of one to 10, how present are you with that thing? Um, and how much pleasure are you getting from doing that thing? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's subjective, so I imagine it changes. But what they were intrigued by the most was that there was a much greater correlation between how present a person was and how much joy they were having um, than there was with what the action was and how much joy they were having. So, and I believe this person even mentioned, he said, so there were some people who would be in traffic and if they reported that they were really present and they were just paying attention to driving, which how could you be if you're getting a ping in your <laughs> I was going to say they're responding to this at the same time. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm focused on your, your ping now. You know, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And am I getting joy out of it? Probably not. I'm answering your question. Exactly. <laughs> but in what people kept reporting, even in behaviors that were otherwise like considered unpleasant, the more present they were doing it. So washing the dishes, doing the laundry, if they were only doing that thing, they ha- they were in a much better mood than if they were on a date and also distracted with work at the same, like I'm texting my friend and I'm on a date and I'm also answering emails. And so even though a date has much more positive connotations, they were less happy because they weren't fully immersed in it. Yeah. I see a lot of truth in that. Um, Previously in my other career um, as a psychiatric caseworker, if you were multitasking, you know, and doing um, several things at once, that was efficient. But were we really doing our best or um, really in the moment with people? You know, it's just different. I'm, that's not related to patient care or anything. That's just I've got to, you know, do my notes and, and answer these phone calls and respond to emails, the stuff behind the scenes. And if I could do all those things and get it all done, but did I really get satisfaction out of what I accomplished? Was it really, not that you have to find joy in answering an email, but you know, I don't know if you know what I'm saying, but it, was it really, I don't know, the best quality of, of response or was I really aware of what I was saying or present? And now there's a real focus on not multitasking doing better, being more present um, and patient with ourselves versus having to accomplish so many things in that given space of time. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's... So basically, in terms of a reward, anything can be rewarding so long as we're paying attention to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned like intrinsically rewarding, um, which like for me, I'm just like, yeah, intrinsic. But I imagine there are people listening who are sort of like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> that feel good feeling that you get from knowing that you did something, whatever it was, um, an action, a, a connection that you made with somebody, knowing that you did that, mm-hmm. just that, that that's for you. That's what that is. And it comes from inside. It doesn't, it's not somebody else telling you or giving you the girl or the high five. It's, um, or giving your dog that cookie, right? It's, um, yes. So that comes from within. Mm -hmm. Which in its opposite would be extrinsic. So there's intrinsic and then there's extrinsic. Mm -hmm. Um, how would you describe the difference between those two? So intrinsic, I'm doing it just for me. Extrinsic, I'm doing it for someone else. Is it that simple or? Um, well, it could be looked at two different ways, I guess. An intrinsic reward would be something that I feel good about, right? It's not mm-hmm. like for me, I went and bought myself a new pair of shoes because I ran that extra mile or because I kept with a certain um goal for so many days or whatever I was working to do. It's not going out and rewarding somebody else with something or even a high five to them that, um, 
intrinsic really does come from that knowing that I did this. It's a good, it's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know the reason I'm asking is because yeah. I know what I think it is from like when I use the word, I know kind of what I'm saying, but it's hard. If, if someone were to say, but I don't know what that is. I well, you just asked to- me and I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, if it's, yeah. I know what it is. And I'm going to think out loud right now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So, I, so for me, I'm thinking like for intrinsic, it's something that is inherently rewarding for its own sake. Yes. Like you're so eloquent with words. Yes. Oh, thank you. That's so that, that is it. You nailed it, Leah. <laughs> See, that's, that's what I was trying to say in my many unnecessary words. <laughs> so what I'm imagining, so it's, for example, I'm trying to think of things that are intrinsically rewarding for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mine would be like, I love to go running. Like I don't need anybody. Like, I don't need to run for cupcakes or beer. Like when I do like a 5k run and they're like, yeah, you get your beer. And tons of people love that. They get to, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like I get something kind of. Or your less, t-shirt at the end, right? They yeah, give t-shirt. you like a beer, a t-shirt, whatever it is. Yeah. Like it's almost like I want, you know, I actually cracked it. The reason I'm bringing up the beer one, it was just because it, it amused me. Cause it's like, really the last thing in the world I would want after just running my heart out would be that I want something hydrating. I want something refreshing and that thing wouldn't do that for me. So I always end up saying, no, I'm good. Um, but I love the, I kind of like the concept of like, you did something good and now you get to have something bad. Like, it's almost like you have to say, now you get to have this real treat. It was the same with people saying I earned it. Yes. And I'm like, but what do we do to earn? Like, I don't think that's, you know, I deserve it or something, but yeah, so for that to have that intrinsic reward system in place or to work to develop that over time, um, it's it's going to serve you better because it's because what if somebody doesn't give you what you were hoping for in a reward then does that set you back in your goals mm-hmm. yeah like in I love this in yoga like in yoga sutras for example they talk they have a really pragmatic language for you know like changing behavior or regulating the system and there were three components to regulation they said you know it's do the work watch yourself not like watch yourself but I mean like observe how that impacts you and to the best of your ability let go of the outcome and it's like that third one so for when you have an intrinsic reward in play it's I'm doing this for its own sake it like I would be doing this if I wasn't getting paid for it it's that like when people say they love their jobs it's like I would do this for free don't tell my boss I said that but man, it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. Or running is for me, it's like, no one needs to give me a t-shirt at the end of a race for me to want to go running. That's my happy place. Like that's for me where no one, no one talks to me, but the little introvert that is me gets to say, Oh, sorry, this, you know, I'm running. You can't talk to you. You can't keep up with me first of all. So I'm just, I'm literally running away, (laughs) but it's for some folks, they'll say like, I need to set up a reward for me to do that thing. And that, to me, I think is the what they call the extrinsic yes. reward. Yeah. Uh, are there any extrinsic rewards you can think of that you've had to kind of prime the pump with for yourself? For you know, like something you wanted to make a habit, and it wasn't enjoyable inherently at first, maybe. So you had to kind of prime it with an extrinsic or an external reward. Is there anything you can think of that was helpful for you? Um, well, since you're talking about running, I would say running for me, it was not always my happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, learning to run and run well, I mean, oh, I've always been an athlete, but I focus more on agility and strength than I did on endurance. Um, so developing long distance running skill was painful <laughs> <laughs> and not always enjoyable, but I, I found um, connection with other people helped. So a running club or a group, um, and it was working for those shoes or it was um, treating myself to a massage, you know, something like that that I knew would also help me better at my running skill um, mm-hmm. or ability to run. But no, it wasn't always something that I enjoyed. Now it is like a, a quiet space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me too, I can, I think I started running when I was in high school and for me it was vanity. It's like, I want to lose weight or I want to, you know, the typical 16 year old 
stuff. Uh, and it was, I remember just the sluggish, painful, like, why am I doing this? This is awful. I don't <laughs> want to. Um, so I'm trying to remember how I got myself to do it. And I, I honestly, I think I probably did reward myself with food at the time. Like, but maybe not because I was always such a good eater. I mean, I loved food. So I don't even know if it was, well, now I'll reward myself with food. It was more of a, huh. Yeah, I don't know how I got myself to keep doing that. You know, um, the only thing I can think of is that I wanted to, that's what it was. I ultimately wanted to go to college. And I knew that one of the things that I needed to, like I was fine with my grades, but I didn't have any extracurriculars. So I thought, fine, I have to go and do athletic stuff. But I wasn't an athlete. So I remember one summer I thought, okay, I'm going to start running because that would also help with my vanity stuff. Again, 16-year-old, remember. (laughs) And I wanted to join the cross-country team because that seemed, number one, it wasn't team. I was really not even a little bit interested in a team sport of Mm -hmm. any kind. Uh, Not because I, 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 it's not like I hated humans. It was just I hated the possibility like entertaining the prospect of being the weak link in a group effort so someone passes me the ball and I do something wrong it's very obvious that I was the reason the team gets left down versus like being on swim team or being in cross country it's just you and the thing and not a whole lot of people really care about what like they're too busy yeah cross country is kind of an individual sport even though your times are uh, the times impact your team, but it's not like win or lose or based on what you you perform, your performance. Yeah. yeah. So for me, like psychologically, that was an easier bar to enter. And so then that was what I had to keep. It's like, I'm going to keep doing this because then I can get into a team, which I didn't actually want to do, but I ultimately want to go to college and I've got to like fluff my resume with something active. So it was very much a begrudging, like, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, and running, uh, like, it was never natural for me. My sisters were both long-distance runners. Mm-hmm. They did the, what was it, the 3,000 and track and cross-country, and I did all of the other sports I could do <laughs> than running. <laughs> but running is great for conditioning to perform better in sports. So that's how I looked at it. I had a volleyball coach in high school also who, who just told us, if you – don't run a seven minute mile, you won't make varsity. Whoa. So for me, that was my goal. I spent all summer, sometimes running twice a day, working on getting my time so I could run and get to run a seven minute mile or less um, to be considered for varsity. And for me, uh, I mean, side note, I did it, but there were so it was my junior year, there were so many seniors uh, playing. I didn't actually have a spot on varsity even though I could play. Uh-huh. Um, but so you could be let down by that. But for me, it was I knew I had taken that challenge that they gave me and that I, for me, that was enough. Yeah, I was disappointed that I didn't get on varsity when I wanted to. Maybe that was my sophomore year, and I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> it's been a little while. <laughs> but um, I still remember that, obviously, and that's just character building too, I think. So working on okay, how do we handle disappointment? What do we do with that? Well, I didn't quit. I played, and I played JV that year, and um, I was the best possible defensive specialist I could be, a back row digger, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm a little vertically challenged, so I didn't get to play front row, unfortunately, <laughs> but I could still do the best I could do. I'm laughing because uh, so am I. So I'm <laughs> five foot three, and you are five foot three and a half. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I got you by a half inch. <laughs> winner, winner. Yeah. <laughs> so I can relate. Yeah, I know a little bit about that. I yeah. remember when I entertained basketball as an option for about, I don't know, whatever kind of fraction of a second would be, but it was like, a, I could, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it too, and they're like, you'll be point guard. I'm like, mm, no. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about rewards as a parent too. It's really hard to know what, what the right reward would be for even a child to do something. Cause you want to teach them to do things because they're going to have to do things in life that aren't always fun, but they're necessary. And every child is different too. So what one child sees as a reward, the other one has no interest in. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to get creative and constantly, you know, make adjustments and think on your feet as you go <laughs> on the fly. Yeah, when I'm what's coming to my like, when I've done like presentations on this, uh, you know, when you get the deer out headlights look on sort of like a word I don't know. Like, uh, one thing that's been helpful for me in thinking about how different people respond to rewards uh, was actually using love languages. So I think it was Gary Chapman who wrote it. Uh, it was like the five love languages. And he intended it to be, I think since his first one, now he's come up with a multiple multitude of contexts. But mm-hmm. initially it was to help married couples better understand how to love one another in a way that each person could comprehend so yeah. <laughs> like to be well received yeah so effective yes, yes. yeah and and I, so the five love languages and i hope i remember them all but um, one of them is tangible gifts so mm-hmm. you know, bringing you flowers or candy or whatever that that's tangible thing um physical touch was another so at quality time uh Words of affirmation and then acts of service. Yeah. And I use that with presentations, not to say, now hurry up and go home and find a partner to do this with, but to think about how to practice self-care. Because if you know your love language, it can help you better understand how to craft rewards that are applicable to you. So like for me, I am very much a physical touch and a quality time person. So when I'm trying to imagine rewards for myself, maybe it's saving up money for a massage Mm. or it could be taking a bath, which for me is very tactile. Um, And that's also quality time with me. I mean, I love hanging out with me. I think I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so when you're talking about your kids, Mm -hmm. like not that they would necessarily like bracket it in love languages, but that helps me kind of practice a lot more compassion and more patience when I'm thinking about, yeah, if I tell you that you should just in- find this thing intrinsically rewarding because it's quality, that's part of why I like running, it's quality time with me. And, you know, there I am on the run going, man, Leah, this was so nice of you. Like, Thanks, Leah. I thought <laughs> you Meanwhile, someone like else in the back is like, I hate me. This is not working. Yeah, what Everything hurts. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. like, why, when can this end? Yeah. This can't be done yeah. fast enough. And so, um, like, you know, when other people say to me, oh, well, maybe I'll gift myself with a sweater. I'm just like, that's bizarre. Why would you, what a weird reward. And it's like, but I'm not a right. tangible gifts person. Right. Yeah. Do you, so how many kids do you have? I have two. I have a 12 year old daughter and a nine year old son. Oh, wow. So what are the rewards that each of them tend to gravitate toward? Uh, I would say my daughter is quality time or tangible gifts. Um, my son is definitely physical touch um, and affirmation. Mm. So they're totally different. That's so cool, though. It is cool. They're so unique. Um, it poses a challenge in parenting when, you know, why does so-and-so only have to do this when I have to do that? Well, you're older or you're younger, but depending <laughs> on the thing, and or, you know, you're capable and they need to learn more. Let's come alongside and help and teach yeah. you know so. oh that's so great it doesn't always work out that way well but. no because <laughs> you know they're they're humans that are mm-hmm. learning how to human better <laughs> and I'm a human who's you know constantly learning how to human better hopefully yeah I mean that's yeah. the thing too that with a lot of parents that I've I should be careful with this because it makes it sound like I've spoken with just so many and I'm personally not a parent myself unless you count the fur babies which I don't um because it's Humans are just so much harder. <laughs> um, but what I've noticed with a number of parents that I have spoken to is that there is, especially with moms, um, it's probably true with dads too, but moms, it seems more pronounced from what I've experienced, is that uh, sacrifice, the self-sacrifice piece. A good mom would never get angry, is always peaceful and tranquil, is always loving and nourishing. A good mom would give up all, sacrifice her own needs for the benefit of her children. And there's a place for that. You know, sometimes it's, they're vulnerable humans and so you want to protect them. But what I find really interesting is, you know, as a daughter, so not as a mom, but as a daughter, my mom was much more, aggressive about defending herness, 
her nest. <laughs> like, like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And the world is just going to have to figure out how to handle it, yeah. including her daughter. That is me. And on the one hand, some of that was a bit of a bummer because as a kid, there's some joy and comfort that comes from a person who's making the world about you for a hot minute. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, there are all kinds of things that I think I absorbed via osmosis, like watching my mom be my mom. And I, I got to watch her when she was fed up, go into her, her craft room, we called it, and she would just play. Like she'd do art, she'd do whatever she wanted, and it was understood. This is mommy time. Go away. She never had to say it. It was just really clear. Don't mess with mom when she needs her space. And so I really integrated in this idea that, oh, that's what adults do when they take care of themselves. They say, you know, they, they put up some kind of an imaginary or invisible sign that no one gets to cross. And so now as an adult, I'm much better at asking questions about what do I need right now? what would be beneficial to my own self-care because my, I didn't grow up with a parent who was completely self-sacrificing. So it's, it's a, what I often will rem remind parents of is, you know, it's great that you're doing this for your kiddos, but would you want this for your kiddos? Mm -hmm. Would you want for them to live a life of pure self-sacrifice or would you want them to have some joy too? Because if you don't carve it for yourself, they will figure out that, that's what adults do. They don't carve out joy. Like right. It's weird. It's really counterintuitive. No, it's so true. Um, constantly, these are just constant teaching moments and learning moments as a parent. Uh, but you do have to be careful at what we're showing them. They see everything. So it is important that, like I say, you know what? I have been under some stress or I'm going through some... Uh, changes or adaption, ad adaptations at work or something. I'm making adjustments. I need, I, my body's tired. I need a, I actually went for an adjustment at my <laughs> naturopath this week because my body was feeling out of sorts and I felt better, but I was able to share that with my kids. I'm like, Hey, I just needed to do that. And like, I know, um, you had to ride the bus home or I know grandma had to pick you up from school, but, um, that's something that I needed to do so that when I came back, I was like, not only was I, I think, 5'4", but <laughs> I was just in a better space because I had done something that I really needed to do. I'd been putting off, but it really does make a difference. And then, I mean, that's also my um, tolerance and my patience and everything else it comes from physical um, exhaustion or lack thereof of energy, you know, things like that. So That makes so much sense. And I... I I'm making an assumption here. Maybe I'll try. And, how can I phrase this as a question instead of as an assumption? When you take care of yourself, whatever that looks like, when you gift yourself with a reward that is pleasurable, how does that impact your ability to parent? Oh, tenfold better. Yeah, because I, okay, and I do suffer from some guilt in that, but I know that through, that's just me. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that comes from that self-sacrificing need to be that that kind of sacrificial mom um, to serve, constantly serve without being served. It should be a two way street because we also need to teach our kids how to serve and not just um, sorry, how to receive service and not just to serve. So right. um, that's one of my love languages is um, acts of service. So if my kids were to suddenly have unloaded the dishwasher without me asking them to, that's when I like, oh my goodness, buddy, that is awesome. Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me, you know, oh, something like that. I love that. Because, you know, it's funny, you should mention dishwasher in particular. Um, in my family, tiny family, <laughs> um, neither my mom nor myself liked emptying the dishwasher. Um, and we called this dishwasher syndrome for this reason. <laughs> if my mom asked me to empty the dishwasher, I would do it, but I'd feel a little bit of, like of a little bit of resentment, like reza frizzle, you know, like home alone. I wouldn't say that to her or even necessarily pout while I was doing it, but internally I'd be thinking, man, I really don't like doing this. But if I beat her to the punch and emptied it before she got a chance to ask me and then got to have the, hey, thanks. Then it became an act I wanted to do. And so we call that dishwasher syndrome. As soon as someone asks you to do the thing, 
it becomes less rewarding, at least for the two of us. What is it with that? I don't know. No, but I grew up with that too. I totally get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally would have taken all my things upstairs, mom, if you just hadn't asked me four times. Like I was going to do it, but you had to ask me and now I don't want to. Exactly. (laughs) So in thinking about like rewards or pleasure, it's so funny that as soon as another person asks me to do a thing, it's not that I won't do it. It's that I will get so much less joy out of it. So there is something to be said for, because a lot of times people will say um, giving to others is inherently pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Like it makes us feel good. It's like, yeah, but only if it came from me and not from a request. If it came from a request, now it's a task on my to-do list, Mm -hmm. which I will do dutifully, but it's not the same thing. So it's more about the random act of kindness versus chore yes because once they ask it's now a chore yeah well and I love to it's funny you should use that terminology like random act of kindness um I know that comes up in a lot of like positive psychology circles they'll say it's you know if you really want to have more joy in your life you can meditate more you can move your body more often you can get better sleep and then you know write down things you're grateful for and the final one is random acts of kindness and it has to be random or it's not just Yes, mom, I will do it. But really and truly something that came organically mm-hmm. and a desire to alleviate someone's suffering for no other reason than that you just wanted to. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, over Christmas, it's hard with the kids wanting things, asking for things, receiving things, and then being um, cooped up at home, you know, can't go do things they want to do or be around their friends. And so I got to appoint this season uh where i said you know what before anybody gets any reward in our house so time on screens screen Mm -hmm. time um i need you to do something unasked for each person each member of this family so there's four of us so you would need to do something for three other people that wasn't prompted not asked for and i'm and i'm sitting there arguing i'm sorry uh, tap the mic i'm sitting there um having a discussion with one i'm not going to name which one but one of them about why this is important. You know, it's important to do these things. And while that conversation's happening, the other one, I didn't know because this was a kind of heated conversation, <laughs> had gone in and written three letters with a picture drawn on them and everything, brought it out, gave me one, gave the other child one, and had one for my husband, just about what they think of us, how they appreciate us. And I'm like, that's what it's about. You know, that, that was total that's a service but that's also an affirmation um and it was just neat well and i am in did the this kiddo interrupt the conflict or the the conversation it did which then helped diffuse that i was just gonna ask yeah Yeah, like it so it's not just that it was helpful for the kiddo Mm -hmm. who i'm sure felt pretty good about that if i were the kiddo i'd be feeling pretty smug but also it even diffused a conflict you're having this conversation and it's like see the thing i was trying to explain to you the kid just did it Mm -hmm. like good job you know, with little without yoga. rubbing it in the other kid's face, right? Because yes. you can't compare, <laughs> and yet they com- you get compared. You know, but it's that was really nice. Thank you so much. You know, yeah. And when you know, and I'm also thinking you because you mentioned like you lightly touched on the whole uh, concept of a pandemic. We can't do all the things that we like to do, and how that you know aggravates mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I just I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine this morning. And she and I are both, you know, we're sweethearts. We we have good intentions, but we are introverts. And sometimes, and we have friends in our circle that are not, who love, you know, will get fed by being around others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, like the pandemic, it's not that it was rewarding because this is hard on everybody. Mm -hmm. But I think this was so, so much harder on people who get fed by being around other humans. Oh, yes. Like it was... it's a form of torture in that regard. Like it, the only way I could imagine an equivalent is if instead of a pandemic where I have to isolate, there was some government mandate that said, okay, and now we're going to have five families all living together in, you know, each respective home and you all have to hang out. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine the extroverted people would be uncomfortable too, mm-hmm. just like introverts were not happy about a <laughs> pandemic. But for me, it, that would be torture. Like why? I could never have a long time. Like not even when I sleep. 
Um, so as we were talking, she and I, and we were, you know, talking about the, you know, things that bring us pleasure and feel rewarding. A lot of the stuff that happen, like we talk about is stuff that involves being alone or quietness or reflection. Whereas I'm thinking about maybe a, like, I don't know, were both your kids this kind of similar in their temperament as it relates to like introvert versus extrovert or are they different or? Um, oh, that's a good question. So it depends on the situation, but I would say um, my son is more um, not outgoing necessarily, but he's more comfortable with himself. And my daughter's a little more cautious about, mm-hmm. yeah, what she puts out there and how it's received. And but it's that middle school time frame too, which can be hard. So. I don't envy anyone in middle school. Like I've even I have a niece who's in just got into high school, and you know I keep having to say to her, "Honey, if you can get through this, you can get through anything." You know, when people say these are the best years of your life, I'm just like, "Lies, lies! They're lying to you. It's so many lies. Mm. These are the years we will all spend the rest of our lives trying to yeah. overcome." <laughs> and man, how resilient are they going to be when we get through this and come out the other side? You know. Hopefully yes. learning more about ourselves. You touched on um, like solace or quietude and I don't know that we get enough of that with the four of us and how busy we are and the two dogs and the cat and partridge in a pear tree, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's It can be um, hard and you do have to be planful about it and that's one thing that we're going to work on this year is creating space for that. Because it is, it's so important to just let your mind be quiet or be um, in the moment with your thoughts, you know, instead of constantly stimulated or distracted. um, It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to sit in it. Yeah, sit in the yuck. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You learn so much when you sit in the yuck. (laughs) Yes. Well, and and the idea of you know, prioritizing it. Like Mm -hmm. there was in terms of like a pleasure or rewards, there's something to be said for plotting out green zones in your schedule. This is not me, by the way, this is a coach that I've worked with who who uses this analogy. Um, Like when city planners put together who's going to be living where, Mm -hmm. you know, they they have designated zones for different types of building, unless you're in, uh, I believe Houston, I don't think they have zoning laws, but I digress. Um, Uh, they will often plot out spaces that are called green zones where nothing will be built on them. And the idea, the philosophy behind this is if you don't build that into a city, you might have plenty of space for people to live, but no one's going to want to live there because it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. There's something healing and lovely about being in, living in an environment that has access to something beautiful. Yes. And in a similar way, but you know, before that, but that doesn't happen organically. A city planner has to say, "Yeah, no one gets to build here." Mm-hmm. And in a similar way, with our scheduling, we can plot out green zones. Like we often, when it comes to rewards, in I mean, this is what I do at least. So I think others do this too. Uh, I have a habit of blocking, like just filling up my schedule, and then whatever's left over, I will figure out how to cultivate some pleasure and rewards for me. It's like I get whatever's left over. Whereas more effective people will schedule and prioritize that and say, no, this is a part of self-care too. I'm going to plan an hour a day that's just for whether it could be exercise or meditation or reading a book or walking your dog, whatever. Yes. Watching grass grow, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter what your thing is, Um, you know, buying yourself a sweater because your love language is sweater, you know, taking a nap if that's what you need, you know? Yeah. I get yeah. it. I and it's um, it's an added challenge for me personally, and I'm sure I hope other parents relate to um, the need to be there for the pickup and the drop off and and or scheduling all of that and meeting. You know, if you've got work work, work requirements, if your kids have uh, extracurriculars, getting to those, and and then there's the you know special occasions and family stuff and beyond that. So it can fill up really fast. I would say I do mostly what you said first, which was just get done what needs to be done. And then the leftovers is for me. And I'm working to 
be more effective, like you said. (laughs) (laughs) Plan it out. Make it happen. So Yeah, like advocate for myself the way I'd advocate for my kids if I had them. Because they need to see that. It's so important. And if I it goes back to that that servitude, right? If I'm constantly serving them or everyone else, you know, then they're not gonna learn how to create that space for themselves for that self care to regroup and yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So, and the only other thing I was going to bring up was the idea of rewarding the behavior. Because what a lot of times what people will do is they'll say as soon as. So as mm. soon as I achieve the blank, then I will gift myself with the, the blah, blah. Yeah. And what beha- research on behavior change, and, and you know this, but mm-hmm. I'm saying it for our listeners. <laughs> no, yeah. Stay away. Um, what a lot of people, what, what researchers in behavior change say is, no, 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 you need to be able to reward the behavior irrespective of the outcome of that behavior. So, for example, a very common one for the January starts is, I'm going to set a goal to lose 10 pounds or insert whatever your number is. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having a tangible desired outcome. But what people mistakenly will do is they'll say, as soon as I lose that 10 pounds, then I will gift myself with blank. Right. Or even every time I lose a pound, I will gift myself. But how do you stay motivated along the way? Yes. And, you know, it was a facilitator in in a weight management group that was training other facilitators who said this. She's like, you can't make yourself lose weight. You have no control over that. You can influence it. Mm -hmm. So you have control over what you eat, how much you move, how much sleep you get, um, how many vegetables you consume, all that. But you can't directly get on a scale and negotiate with it and be like, hey, man, I had a rough week this week. Can you do me a solid and just, yeah. you know, take some off the top? <laughs> and when I'm personal training and working with clients towards goals of all sorts, right, they can get very um, disappointed and discouraged when they're not moving towards that. But it's, it's like you said, it's the process and not necessarily the result that is the reward that they're uh, or to reward those things. But, you know, I mean, those, that is rewarding to stick with something regardless of the outcome, like you said. So, yes, we can do all these things and then get to the end. And what if we don't lose the weight? That's not where your value lies. You are worth more than the number on the scale. Um, it's about that process. What did you learn about yourself along the way? What were some of those roadblocks, those hardships, those things that are stumbling blocks that you had to move through, move over, move around. That's what you're learning about yourself. And that's how you can really work towards, okay, well, hey, that didn't work as I thought it would, but maybe I'll reassess and kind of change up a bit and think of something else and challenge myself again and see what else you can learn. Yeah. And, you know, like when I would facilitate groups and all kinds of different behavior changes, they were trying to move toward whatever it might be. I heard some great ones, like when I'd ask about rewards, um, and over time they would cultivate some. So one gal said, every time I go to the gym now, because she had a personal trainer, uh, she would time it so that it would be during days that the trainer would be there. So it's not necessarily that they had an appointment, but that she knew kind (laughs) of like, and so anytime the trainer would see her, he'd give her a high five. I mean, this is pre-pandemic and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. We're doing air five now, right? exactly. And she said that. the teachers do to the students. Yes. (laughs) And this is what people often, um, when they get confused, they're like, yeah, yeah, but what could I reward myself with every day? Like, I can't afford to buy myself a sweater every day. And so it has to be this, like, a reward for behavior change. It has to be tangible, and it has to be something that you do every time you do the behavior, so for her, it was a high five at the gym. Someone else said every time that she'd log her food, she'd like look in a mirror and be like, you're doing it. Like she'd wink at herself. Like a Pavlovian response. Yes. Like, hey. um, um, I heard Mel Robbins say, it's a motivational speaker. And she said, if you give yourself a high five in the mirror, there's something like there's that dopamine kick. And she said, you might feel ridiculous at first, but there's something about seeing yourself as a friend. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the research does show that you get that dopamine kick. Mm. Um, for the more tangible gift oriented folks, what one person said is every time they did it, they'd move a dollar from their, their checking to their savings account. Mm -hmm. And so there was the, every time they do it, you can, they can move it. So there's the dopamine. And then at a certain point, sort of like tickets at an arcade or something, it'll, 
amass to a point where you can get something you actually want. Mm-hmm. So I just loved how people would negotiate these things of like, this is how I'm going to reward myself when it isn't intrinsically satisfying yet. Like yeah. To get over that hump. I had a client who was a um, habitual smoker and they wanted to quit. So as we were working together, they realized they didn't feel as good while they were smoking and working out and not seeing benefits, right? So um, they started putting the money they were spending back when it was a pack of cigarettes and not vaping or whatever it is, um, that money went into a jar. And so each time they would have bought a pack of cigarettes, that money went away and it was money they didn't miss anyway. Right. But then at the end they were able to save up for that trip or, I mean, it's amazing how much money you can spend (laughs) when you're not buying cigarettes. But so that was, um, an experience that they could do that was, you know, just proof of that, of what they were, um, the option of changing that behavior. So Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you think we maybe didn't hit on or anything else? Talked about a lot today. I know. We covered Um, a lot. I feel like I could talk forever. But (laughs) um, no, it's interesting that the need that we have for validation, whether it's from ourselves or from others, but I think that's just part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. We are social. However, introverted people are we are social um or what is the word for that uh, socially oriented yeah perhaps yeah so like we we're still social creatures mm-hmm. like we don't we didn't we, even us are introverts don't get a get out of social free card <laughs> like as <laughs> much as we might like to you know talk ourselves up and say oh we don't need people that's bullcaca mm-hmm. yeah huh yeah <laughs> we just also the way i like to put it is um in sort doses. Of, <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's, it's sort of like every single human has a set of ingredients, but each of us, like, let's, if I were to, you know, like a cookie recipe, like butter, milk, maybe, I don't know, butter, milk, flour, whatever the things are. It's just that every single person has a slightly different recipe for how much of each of those equals what makes the best them. Like, mm. and so for me, my recipe for joy has a lot less social interaction it's not a, it's a non-zero number so I can't have zero because then that doesn't work but it's yeah. a lot less than some friends of mine who need a ton of social interaction to feel like their best selves so it's really like in terms of rewards it's you know know thyself and then treat thyself yeah and I think it is important to figure out what does motivate us and then how we can reward ourselves so we can be best human as we human through this world <laughs> that we can possibly be you know yeah way to make it go full circle <laughs> oh well Aaron, thank you so much for coming on and thanks for your time and it's oh, just it was fun so thanks for having, having me you. such a joy <laughs> thank you take care <laughs>